Happy National Pizza Month, y'all. I'm Betsy, and here are the pods we're tossing into the Popping Collars feed for October 2022. It's a deep dish on Popping Collars this month when Liz, Ricardo, Greg, and I explore the layers of our favorite pop culture calendar years. The only thing scarier than Papa John is our latest episode of The Canon, when our panel of special guests draft movies based on the works of Stephen King. Going on 30 is loaded with all the toppings this month when Greg and I go overboard discussing Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Ryan Parker is back as our special guest on The Sacred Six, where he talks about the Masetta, the only thing flatter on the Camino de Santiago than a thin Pizza Hut pizza. Finally, the PC Book Club features the most surprising thing this side of stuffed crust when Greg joins Ricardo to talk about his favorite spooky books of all time. Ooh, it's spooky season. So grab an extra slice of the longest running Episcopal podcast of all time and keep those collars popped. But um, I need sort of like two minutes. So I actually, I, because we've got this ministry fair coming up. So we themed the ministry fair this year. Uh Our theme is Bethesda's next chapter. And uh, so everyone that has a ministry, they pick a, they pick their favorite book and they theme their table around their favorite book. And oh. so the Bethesda movie club, we chose Shawshank redemption from the Stephen King short stories, right? The seasons stories. Right. <laughs> so I got like a trifold board and then like the middle section, I cut a big hole. Uh, <laughs> so it looks like a hole that's been cut into the wall. And then, so the, and then I've got to read a Hayworth poster that I'm going to put over the top of it. Nice. So when people come to our table, they pick up the poster and like all the information for the movie club is like under the poster, right? When they look in, wow. but I'm like getting everything. Like I'm like cutting out the hole in the center and I like, I've bloodied myself. <laughs> Wow. I can't be trusted. I can't be trusted with like these little scalpel things. Cause like I, and I, then I had to like rush and grab band-aids from the Sunday school hall. So I have a camouflage. Yes, you do. Oh, (laughs) so I just feel like I'm all sliced up here. Wow. Perfect for the horror PC book club episode that Mm -hmm. is on tap. It seems. Everybody and happy Spooktober or Spook Ember, if you will. I don't know when this podcast is airing. <laughs> it's actually on Halloween. It comes out on Halloween. Oh, ooh, happy Halloween, everyone! <laughs> <laughs> my name is Ricardo Avila, and I have with me uh, my co-host. I'm um, surprise, surprise! It is the Popping Collars Book Club, the PCBC, and yet it is not Liz. Something spooky is going on. Oh, that's that spooky sound that you hear uh, is millions of phones flipping to the next podcast because they're like, wait, wait, what do you mean Liz isn't here? Click. (laughs) The the Lizarati, the Lizarati is tuning out. But no, we have Greg Knight. Greg, say a little bit about yourself for the people who only listen to PC Book Club. I know, right? Hey, Ricardo, it's Greg Knight. It's the host of all the other podcasts that you listen to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
right? Um, no, uh, I am the associate for Christian formation here at Bethesda by the Sea, sunny Bethesda by the Sea, where it's always blazing hot on Halloween, um, which is something that you kind of have to get used to when you move down here. Um, but I'm super excited to talk about spooky books. I, I know that, like, I know Betsy's not a super horror fan, uh, so she would not want to do this episode. I don't think Liz is a big horror person either, but I know you and I kind of are. And so I'm excited to have this conversation. Very good. Yeah. Well, um, I would say that, uh, well, first of all, I'm Ricardo Avila, and I'm the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in also sunny, low scatos not quite as humid and hot as Bethesda by the sea, uh, which is a good thing as far as I'm concerned. You know, I just want to say, I, I know we're sort of sliding around here, but I had my very first parishioner say that he listens, he started listening to the podcast. And it was like, it was like, I don't know. It was like Maud getting a visit from the Jeffersons or something. It's like two worlds, you know, it's like, what's going on? Really? And uh, he said in the email, you really know a lot about pop culture. Hey, <laughs> no, I kind of like that. Um, it's relative. Was that, a, was that a good thing? Do you think that's a compliment? Like, <laughs> it's one of those statements that's like, wait a second. Are you saying I'm wasting my time? <laughs> yeah. No, he meant it as a compliment. Um, he's not like me um, throwing shade uh, <laughs> wherever I go. <laughs> Um, no, so it was kind of nice to, to feel that someone out there thinks I know a lot about pop culture. So awesome. uh, we have your you have your first listener from Los Gatos who actually lives in San Diego, but there we are. Welcome to PCBC Spook Edition, the spooky edition mm. of Poppy Collars Book Club. Yeah, so we thought we'd mix it up a little in Halloween and scare you with a different co-host. Uh, and just wait. So Greg, to answer your question, um, yeah. I used to love reading horror novels. I mean, I was, I would always get yelled at by my mother for reading my Stephen King books and mm -hmm. you're reading that thing. It's from the devil. And she didn't speak English, but you could tell from the, you know, the book cover, what was going on, you know, a, a girl bathed in blood, you know, mm -hmm. or a vampire, you know, the um, cover of, I always loved the pet cemetery cover, that cat yeah. face. that's like, ah, you know, the, the big growling cat. Yeah. And did Cujo have like fangs in like the U and the J or something? Oh, maybe. Yeah. I For some reason, I always envision like a paw print or something. But yeah, maybe you're right. No, right. I don't think about it. Yeah. It being the season, we thought we would talk about um, horror books. It's a book club and it's the season. So um, Greg and I want to give you, uh, uh, we want to give you a recommendation, at least one recommendation each for. Um, and I think we're going to be pretty free flowing, Greg. What are you thinking? Yeah, well, I was actually going to ask before we get into like recommendations for books and stuff. I'm glad that you mentioned this idea of like you as a kid kind of sneaking off to read uh, horror books. I'm curious, like when you think of like the horror book genre, like it kind of has a little bit of that stain to it right like you're kind of reading something that you shouldn't be reading do you ever get that feeling when you're sort of oh, going yeah. down that going down that road oh heck yeah um the thing is i don't really read horror anymore but uh mm -hmm. yeah back then for sure it felt it was you know um this side of you know neurotic stuff or something yeah um, yeah you're right that yeah, it has it has like a so I'm I've been trying to think of like what is it about the horror novel 
And of course, like I'm always, I come to the PCBC as, uh, you know, I really shouldn't be here. I'm not (laughs) much of a book reader. Uh-huh. But you know, I, I I'm always the I'm always the guy that's coming on here talking about comics. But the, you know, there's a real kind of history to that, right? Because like horror comics were always a big thing, and they were actually part of the reason why the comic book code was established, right? Because um, because so many of these books from the 40s and 50s were featuring like graphic violence in them and stuff like that. And sometimes it would be under the guise of like a detective comic, but a lot of times it was just straight up horror comics, you know? And there was this idea that, you know, the horror genre kind of lived in this pulp world, like the the idea of the pulp novel, um, that these are books that you wouldn't necessarily buy. You would kind of find like, you know, stuffed away or something like that. And um I don't know. Like, I always thought, like, I bet I bet probably a lot more people read pulp novels and pulp comics than probably admit to it. Like, I bet we're, like, tapping into a big section of the reading audience right now. <laughs> Conversation. That's right. We're secretly listening. Right. You know, Greg, now, so you've just broken up in this topic, and I don't know. I just don't know if I'm crossing boundaries here, but... You got me thinking. So first of all, when I started thinking of what am I going to suggest or recommend for a horror book, um, all I could think of were movies and yes. shows because horror really lends itself to the visual and the you know to film, frankly. Um, and so I had to get past that and be like, oh God, I loved The Exorcist, and actually I read that book too. So I was thinking that how how it, horror as a genre. I think certainly has come alive much more these days in film, obviously. Then I was thinking about, you know, horror, when did it really start becoming a thing? And I thought, well, maybe with Stephen King, but then there's, you know, Edgar Shirley Jackson and Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft and, and certainly ghost stories, you know, from the 19th century, Charles Dickens, our friend Dickens. Bram Stoker, Mary Shelley. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, this is like classic literature horror. Absolutely. You know, William, he used to teach um, Frankenstein to his high school students. And it's, it's, it is, it's literature. It's, it's got a lot of, um, it's a smart novel. Well, I mean, it's about sort of like this temptation towards godhood, right? Towards like humans claiming the power of God. And what does that look like? It's interesting because I'm actually reading, I'm leading a Bible study right now on uh, the book of Genesis and this idea of like, the knowledge of good and evil as sort of this temptation to be like God. And that's what that novel is all about. That's the sin of Dr. Frankenstein is to be the creator uh, in the place of God, the creator. Right. 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 And I would take it a step further since we're talking about this on a religious podcast, supposedly religious podcast, as some people say to (laughs) us, Um, the other, you know, the flip side is the, the monster actually, you know, develops feelings and desires. And, you know, I want to mate and I might be conflating with the movies, but um, I want to mate. I want food. I want companionship. And um, if I don't get it, (laughs) I'm going to kill, you know, but uh, it, it, it sort of makes you think, so we shouldn't be like God, but I can't help but think, why didn't God just give us 
everything, <laughs> you know, we to have these longings unfulfilled all the time in our lives. I mean, you sort of feel for the monster because, oh yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't have a partner for a long time or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I've, I've gone friendless or felt like an outcast and had the village chasing me with pitchforks. <laughs> Not quite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really plays with this idea of what is a monster, right? Is the is the monster the abomination or is Dr. Frankenstein the abomination? Like that's that's kind of the duality of that novel, I think. Yeah. Right, right, right. Can yeah. I just say something though? Like you talked about horror movies, and I think yeah. you're so right. Like it's so much easier to think in terms of movies. Um, because even when I think about so I imagine I'm going to be talking about Stephen King. I imagine we'll get into a lot of Stephen King because he's just such a giant in this genre. Right. But, you know, even when I think of like Stephen King stories, the images that come to mind are the movies. So like when I think about The Shining, it's the movie, The Shining, that comes to mind, not necessarily the novel. So I have this thing that I do uh, every year. There's a website called Polygon.com. And they do this wonderful thing where it's kind of like an advent calendar for the month of October, where they just give you a, a new horror something to watch uh, each day. And it it's so wide ranging. It's wonderful. If you've never done they've this is their third year of doing it. And it's so wide ranging. Like, for instance, this year they've recommended Audition, which is like a Japanese horror film. They have like... Um, Dead Ringers, which is a Cronenberg body horror film. They have The Hunger with David Bowie. Uh, I know I talked to you. I texted you because one of the movies on there was Seconds uh, starring Rock Hudson, which was a really good movie. But then they also have like, you know, um, episodes of Samurai Jack where like he goes to a haunted house or something, you know, like a cartoon. And, you know, the, the visuals of horror movies are always just so thrilling, right? Um, And the creativity of horror movies are always so thrilling. But the thing is, it's hard to like capture that in a book. It seems like book horror is doing something very different from like film horror. Film horror is trying to shock you. It's trying to like make you jump, you know, like that kind of thing. You know, something jumps out at you. Book horror is more about dread, about foreboding and sometimes just about something horrific, like a horrific description of something. But it's not, nothing's going to jump out at you and scare you. It's got to kind of boil under the surface, you know? And it's, right. it's kind of hard to do that, I think. Obviously, with a book and anything that's adapted to film, you get more background story on the characters. You invest more in wanting them to live, for example, or not be turned into a monster. And so... Uh, it, it almost feels like the stakes are higher when, when you're reading a book. I mean, partly investing the time, but um, but with movies, you know, it'll be over in a couple of hours, or you can sort of get through it and then keep going. Okay. One of the things, one of the reasons I think horror uh, in written form, people are drawn to it is it does delve into some. Um, I, I don't, you know what? I, I don't know. I, I'm going to say this, and I'm not a pop. I'm not a psychologist or anything, but yeah, you know, I, it, it, it brings up unmentionable stuff. You know, it brings up killing and death and rage and fear. You know, it, it manifests fear as monsters or sounds or the neighbor next door or the creepy child. 
And you know, I, I think about that stuff a lot. It's like, that person looks kind of like just today. I was having breakfast in a, one of those old diners in South San Francisco. And the guy came in, uh, he was, he had a skateboard, but he had a big beard and sunglasses and he had so much hair on his face. Yeah. You did not see any skin. And I said to my friend, look at, he said, yeah, it's like cousin it. <laughs> you know, like scary. He had a skateboard, all hair and big sunglasses and no skin and a hat, you know? So we kind of skedaddled. Um, yeah. I mean, but it's all around and maybe it's a way of, I don't know, a cathartic thing, maybe more in movies, but to just kind of let it play out in a safe environment of a book, which isn't always safe, but I'll say more about that later. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Like I've, I've said before, I think I just said it just now, like the horror genre is probably the most creative genre because you can go to places that are unreal so like if you do a drama like you have to stay like earthbound you can't you can't have aliens show up in the middle of your melodrama or something and you know just just thinking of like how dependent you know movies or even just stories in general television shows or stories are on you know well if we're going to tell this story we need audiences to know what's going on Right. They need to to already have some kind of investment before they come in. So that's kind of like why superheroes are kind of taking over movies, why like Game of Thrones is like back again. It's like, really? Like, we can't just do something new. But like horror is always doing something new. like there's like always. And yeah, I understand that like there was this glut of like Halloween movies and Nightmare Before Elm Street movies and Jason movies and stuff like that. But like, if you look at like the horror movies that are currently in the market right now, they're all like original ideas and they like even books and stuff. They're all like, they're all kind of like really original creative ideas because it's almost like, you know, the thing that I like about sort of horror stories, um, however it is that they manifest, but especially in books, um, it's almost like describing a dream, you know? It's like, it doesn't have to make sense. Like, it's just the feeling behind it. Like, that's what you're trying to convey. So that can be in a very realistic setting, or it can be in a very surrealistic setting. But that's kind of the benefit of the genre is that you can go wherever your imagination takes you. You're not bound by anything, really. Right. um, Yeah. So the last thing I think I'll say about this is, I wonder if that's not why some people look down their noses at things like horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, because it takes a lot of imagination, but apparently, but maybe people think, oh, imagination, that's a cheap way out. Oh, you could always make the monster suddenly, right. you know, die from being, having water thrown at it or something. Uh, yeah. Oh, and you resolve the whole story. Whereas with real literature, you have, you know, you really have to deal with the characterizations and it has to make sense with the plot. And, you know, you have those constrictions. And so maybe they think it's, I don't know, whatever the, whatever the written equivalent of cheap grace is, you know, cheap. No, I t- yeah, I totally understand. I remember um, yeah. uh, my, my wife was reading a King book uh, that had come out a few years back and she's like, um, she's getting towards the end of it. And I, and I asked her, I was like, okay, so what, what kind of King book is this? Is it aliens, uh, psychics or ghosts? <laughs> and it's like, because it's always one of those things. 
Sure. So yeah, it does kind of feel like a cheap way out sometimes. Ah, all right. Well, we have chatted long enough. A good, uh, good preview. Uh, let us get down to our picks. So I, I have two. <laughs> um, one is an actual book and one is a sort of a kind of horror book. I used to, you know, when I was reading my Stephen King stuff in high school and all that and being scolded by my mother, at some point I moved on and found books, and I have one still, um, about kind of true stories, true stories of hauntings or witches or whatever. And, you know, you got to put the true story in quotes because really, but um, those would scare me even more because I would just think that that really happened. Like the Amityville horror, right. Is a classic example. Um, And, you know, those conjuring books, which apparently turned out to not be true or something, but um, the book I have now and William actually hit it because I started reading it and having nightmares. Uh, it was just a book called Poltergeists. And it was a big, one of those big, almost like time life books, you know, like two feet by three feet big or something. And it would tell all these stories of actual kind of events in, you know, a farmhouse in Kentucky and the family had to flee. And, you know, and supposedly there was a triple murder there. And so there were poltergeist things being moved around and noises and, but because it was supposedly true, um, that freaked me out even more. Mm-hmm. And so made me think, well, could that happen to me? You know, and like American Horror Story, the first Ryan Murphy, uh, the first season, when they move into the murder house, mm-hmm. every once in a while, I'll be looking at real estate stuff and it'll be like, I'll say, wow, that's really inexpensive for the house. It looks really nice. If I lived there, I would want to. I think it's haunted. It's like the Ryan Murphy, you know, <laughs> they could afford it. They moved in, they get murdered. So that that's one kind of book. It's it's sort of a, to me, a subgenre, like supposedly true stories of actual like supernatural events that somehow scare me more. Yeah. Which leads me to my actual pick, which is not a supernatural event, but really happened and scared the pants off me and still kind of does to this day. It's not, it's, it's not fiction. So I hope that's okay. But it's a book by Michelle McNamara mm. called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Yep. Yep. One Woman Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer. It came out in 2018. Oh God, that book. So it's like Liz is with us. This is like one of Liz's favorite books. Yeah. And sort of oh, thing. I know. So she's a real true crime person. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is about the Golden State Killer and Michelle McNamara. I forget how it happened, but she got obsessed with the story. And she did all kinds of research. She really wanted to catch him. She's the wife of, is it Oliver Platt? No, Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt. Yeah. Thank you. And she died before the book was finished, right? And so I think, but mostly it was done. And um, I don't know if she was zeroing in on the killer, but... Um, she had done all this research that really kind of revived the case because when did it happen in the seventies, eighties, maybe. And so Oliver Platt and maybe one of the editors or someone kind of helped finish. Oswald. <laughs> <laughs> What's with Oliver Platt? Are they, they I don't know look, why you're dragging Oliver Platt. <laughs> are they sort of lookalikes? No, not really. I think you've got, I think you've got the, I think you've got the letters O and P like stuck in your brain and you've got the Oh my gosh. Patton <laughs> Oswalt. Well, first of all, what kind of a name is that? But anyway, 
<laughs> All right, Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt. So he and maybe an editor helped finish the book. And, you know, they made a, what HBO made a documentary series out of it or something. Uh, but here's the thing as you know, they caught the killer. And they did it because of one of those DNA tests, like the 23andMe business. And they, they had some DNA from the killer and they put it out there into that database and found some matches and tracked him down through a cousin who had done the testing. And he was like a, a, a police officer or a former cop. And, uh, and he was the killer. And this is all over California. He was doing this. And the reason I call it horror is because it was horrifying. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, not, I'm even scared to tell, like the, the, the one thing that stays with me, and I, he did this a couple of times, so, you know, he, 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 he killed women, he killed couples, he maybe killed men on occasion. But, but one of the things that he did at least twice is um, he would break into someone's home in the middle of the night and, you know, at gunpoint subdue them or something and tie up the man and lie him on his stomach and then take a teacup and a tea saucer uh, and put it on his back and say, if I hear this move, she's dead. And the guy couldn't move because, right. you know, and that to me is just horror yeah. incarnate, you know, I, and I picture that scene and, and, and how sort of evilly ingenious it is. Just this simple household thing, a teacup and saucer. I don't know. I mean, to me, that's scarier than any Stephen King novel. And I would say that the, the other thing about that is um, I was so afraid and I don't know, I was listening to the audiobook of it and it scared me so much. I would, we lived on the first floor of a little apartment situation and I would not let William open the windows yeah. ever again. You know, in fact, I started to relent. And so we opened the windows and then I swear, I thought I heard something outside one night. And I got up and I pulled the curtains and there were these two teenage older boys, like two people, like looking in the window. (laughs) I flipped out. I thought, that's it. (laughs) And they were like shirtless. They were like, what is happening? Why are they in the window? And the window was like up. And so I said, that's it, William. So it it, it haunts me to this day. And um, I don't know, true crime. I still don't understand what people, why people, Liz has tried to explain it, and I, I guess yes. I can understand it, but it is not my thing. I, I find it too distressing, like distressing. Yeah. But good horror book, that one. I'll be gone in the dark. So. I, I love it. So I, actually, the the night that they caught that guy, uh, I texted Liz that night because I was like, oh, my gosh, it happened. Uh, uh, yeah, we just had this whole sort of text exchange going when the Golden State Killer was caught. So I, I totally get what it is that you're saying. You know, the movie image that comes to mind with what you're describing is the Droog attack in Clockwork Orange, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just how horrific that scene is. It's just, just like, it, it just makes your skin crawl. It's just uncomfortable to watch, right? And the thing about, and again, like this, this is sort of that difference between movies and books. Like with a movie, it's kind of like, okay, shut my eyes. You know, it's not going to last long. Like I can, you know, I can make it through this scene, you know, that kind of thing. But with a book, it's going to go as fast as you're reading it. 
you know, you get to this uncomfortable moment. It's like, do you keep going or do you stop? Right. And what is it? That, what is it that you need to do for yourself? Yeah, I, I totally like those creepy crawly moments or. Yeah. 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 And and it he he comes to seem sort of I don't want to say, yeah, sort of like superhuman because they just can't catch him. And he's kind of everywhere. You know, it's not technically the horror genre. It's more true crime, but I found it horrifying. I'll be gone in the dark. One woman's obsessive search for the Golden State Killer by Michelle McNamara, wife of Patton Oswalt. (laughs) Not Oliver Platt. No. And, you know, (laughs) as I said, she died before it was finished, but that book was influential. I mean, it it sort of reached the case and got them to, I think it was instrumental. In- yeah, and I think Pat Oswalt sent like he tweeted out like a lovely thing to um, his um, deceased wife uh, when he was caught about like you know you did it like that kind of thing. Yeah, right. Um, so that's my pick. Awesome, I love it. Uh, so my recommendation is going to be an oldie, but uh, I should probably explain it a little bit. So my thing with horror, you know, you were talking about sort of those evocative images kind of thing that, that can happen when you read a book. But I remember probably my first dalliance into horror books was the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark series. That was that was like a classic sort of scholastic book series, right? And the stories were just, you know, just regular urban urban folktale stuff that you would normally have like hook hand, you know, hanging on the car door and, you know, (sighs) stuff like that. But the thing that the scary stories to tell in the dark book had going for it was that the artwork on the cover and in the book was so horrific. Like it would just, it would give me like these nightmares just to sort of see these images. Like I, I always saw that book as like, some kind of unholy tome <laughs> where it was like, oh, there's so many creepy pictures in that book. I can't, I can't even open it. But uh, it also it gave me this appreciation for the horror short story. Like you were talking about American Horror Story. I, I know that I watched maybe like the first four or five American Horror Stories, and invariably, what ends up happening is that the first episode is great. The second episode is okay. And every episode after that is God awful is like yep. horrible. And yep. what I, what I, what it sort of convinces me of is that horror is kind of best served quickly. <laughs> and like, <laughs> like give me the scenario, give me the stakes and then get out. Like there's no need to sort of live in this sort of horrific world for a really long time. Now, yeah. really great movies do it well, but I find like, short stories are the best way to go. Mm. So with that being said, on our very podcast, on our Canon episode, you drafted uh, Creep Show as one of your <laughs> movies from the Stephen King canon. And I was like, oh, Creep Show. I, I remember watching that as a kid. I would love to check it out again. And so I did. I watched it again. And it's great, man. Oh my gosh. How Holbrook and... Ted Danson's in that movie. Like, I mean, yeah, it's just, 
it's just a, it's just great. It's just a, you know, it's these wonderful, it's like five short stories that just kind of like get in, get out, do something horrific and then leave. Right. And so I was like, Oh, creep show. That was really good. I wonder if creep show two is any good. <laughs> so, oh, okay. so I fired up creep show two. Turns out creep show two is not as good at all, <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing that creep show two does have going for it is that one of the stories in Creepshow 2 is The Raft, which is actually a Stephen King story. It's one of the very few stories from the Creepshow series that he had actually already written. It shows up in uh, Skeleton Crew, which was his uh, collection of short stories from the 80s. So Stephen King usually puts out like a collection of short stories like every decade or so. He has about five or six of them at this point. Some of them are very short, like Seasons, for instance, only has like four uh, short stories in it. But some of them are very long. Like his first one, Night Shift, has, you know, Graveyard Shift and things that went on to become movies that just started as short stories. You know, Jerusalem's Lot is in that one and like stuff like that. Yeah, so so I was watching Creepshow 2 and The Raft came on. And if you've never seen Creepshow 2, I can explain this. This is a super simple concept. It's basically this group of teenagers, four teenagers, are at this pond or lake or something like that. And they swim out to this raft in the middle of the lake. And they're just kind of like sunbathing, hanging out, doing teenagery stuff. And then at some point, like this oil slick starts Ooh. to form kind of around the raft where they are. And one of them is like, um, oh, I wonder what this stuff is. And they reach down to touch it and it starts, it like eats their skin. Oh, like eats, it starts to eat them. And so they realize that like, oh, this thing is, this thing is going to eat them if they get into the water. And mm-hmm. so of course, like one by one, these teenagers start getting eaten by this little black oil slick thing in the water and it's kind of like it's this it's this great sort of horror scenario and king is really good at this in things like gerald's game and cujo and stuff like that it's the it's the situation that you find yourself in that you can't get out of and there's like no way to get out of it that's going to you know that you're not going to get hurt and so you you have these kids they're stuck on this raft they're either going to starve to death or they're going to get eaten by this thing in the water and so it's like how do i get out of this situation and of course like you opt for well maybe if the thing's eating somebody else i can make a break for it you know that kind of thing and that's even more horrific and so yeah so i was watching this in creep show too and i was like oh my gosh that's actually what a what an interesting setup for a story and then actually when you start to think about it there's all kinds of stories that do the ruins you remember that novel that came out where the kids were stuck on the like the Mayan temple or whatever and like you know they wouldn't they weren't allowed to leave and like the plants started like trying to eat them and stuff I like, was just going to bring that up yeah yeah like um it's all these sort of like you're stuck in the situation kind of stories were great so um so all that is to say that short stories are wonderful horror short stories are really great um because it's it's kind of like the fun size candy of horror it's like it's just enough to whet your appetite and then you move on to something else and so i guess what i would say is i would recommend skeleton crew i think it's a you know um i think it's a good one it has that story the raft like i said before and then you king does this wonderful thing where he just plays with like narrators of the story and 
um, how stories can be written. And, and sometimes he'll tie things into other novels that he's written. So for instance, like he'll write a short story, but it's set in the world of the stand and people, you know, it's like a short story about like people surviving the plague from the stand and stuff like that. So yeah, I would recommend skeleton crew or just any Stephen King short story um, collection that you can find. So Nice. Thank you. Oh my gosh. The, the ruins that you yeah. mentioned. Oh, see, I found that distressing as well. That was distressing. Oh, oh Lord, it was it, this, this. So this sentient plant, right? Is it, it? It it becomes sort of a god for the people who live around it, and as long as they keep feeding it humans, it won't attack them. Mm-hmm. And so they have to escape these people going there, and they what is it? They take them on a tour. Oh, we want to show you the ruins, and it's going to be great. And then they get stuck, and the tour guides get to leave. And if they try to escape, they get shot right by the people who are watching, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, yeah, I found that depressing. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. I don't know if uh, I forget who wrote the ruins. I want to say Scott somebody. Hey, Siri, who wrote the horror novel The Ruins? Okay, I found this on the web for who wrote the horror. Scott novel, Smith. The ruins. Check it out. Scott Smith. That's not memorable, but um. Uh, it, 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 it's just, yeah, it's just, and you like some of the characters on the, on the little, at the ruins and you want them to survive and mm-hmm. uh, the short story. So is it called seasons? I thought it was called different seasons. Oh, it may be called different seasons. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I remember the book cover and the skeleton crew book cover. Yeah, had different seasons. Cover. Yeah. Is it? Oh, okay. Good. But the skeleton had the, the monkey with the little symbols, right? Oh no, I think you're I think you're thinking of um something else. Yeah, I think you're thinking of um skeleton crew was the one that had like the bird on the cover, like the crow. It was kind of like um oh what's that, you know, like the Rorschach test kind of cover. Oh so, yeah. I'm trying to think, like I know the uh the cover of the VHS for monkey shines. Had the little clangy monkey symbol oh, thing. Oh, that must be what I'm thinking of. What a wild movie. <laughs> monkey shines. Monkey shines. I would I would say, like, I speaking of like covers, we've talked about covers of novels and stuff like that, but I I vividly remember being a kid and walking down the horror aisle of the blockbuster and just being totally intrigued by like things like Dr. Giggles or the ice cream man with uh, Clint Howard, you know, like, especially the Clint Howard movies where he just looks so creepy, you know, and it's got like, you know, pictures of like skeletons and ice cream or something like that. Um, The monkey shines cover. I definitely remember like all the VHS, all the old like horror VHS uh, covers always caught me. Yeah. It caught my fun. Great. Uh, so this is, rich, this is a richer topic than I would have guessed. You know, the other thing from earlier um, about horror, I, I think this is a cliche. So I, I sort of want to tease it out a little bit, but I think people like to be scared in a way that feels safe. It's like you get to, you get to take the risk without the consequences maybe, but I don't know. I mean, I don't necessarily like to be scared, but I think there's almost like a hit you get from the scary stuff. I, I love religious horror movies um, because it brings in that good and evil and 
almost like there's meaning to the universe kind of thing and you have to fight the evil or um, I, I find those that really trips my trigger for some reason, more than like a Freddy Krueger uh, or a Jason or a Michael Myers. I mean, yeah. there's survival instinct stuff. Um, that's part of it too. I, but I mean, it's like, I mean, even a, even something like a Jurassic park or something like you'll get some moments in those novels where, I mean, it is like, you just cannot stop reading. It's like your eyes or your brain sort of take over because the tension in it is so high that like, you know, even if you've got something to do, like you can't just corner the page and come back in the middle of like, what is that scene from like, there's, there's that one crazy scene from the Jurassic Park novel where like they're hiding behind a waterfall and the T-Rex is like sticking its tongue through the waterfall, trying to like grab you know the people inside with its tongue like that's such a crazy image you know like you can't stop reading once you're in the middle of something like that i think that's i think that's kind of the 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 kick of the horror novel is that it i mean it's like we said at the very beginning it feels like you're reading something that you're not supposed to and then whenever there's like these nutso action scenes like when the kids go down into the sewers to fight it you know, that you just can't, you can't stop once you've gotten to that point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, the other thing that happens for me is I, I, I have this strong sense of like justice and injustice, like right and wrong. And what I find disturbing about my pick, for example, is that just, you know, the good people are supposed to come out okay in the end. And I, I don't know, I, I just, the movies like Nightmare on Elm Street, where the, the teenagers get picked off because the, the parents burn some guy alive in the past or something it just i have it 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 upsets my sense of moral justice or something and like the plant in the ruins you know that's not right <laughs> but we know the world but then is- there's also there's the other side of that which is like the twilight zone which is basically like morality tales um right. just with a horrific bent to them right so it's like so you can also sort of do that I mean, a grim tales are the same thing, right? They're they're pretty horrific, but they have like some kind of message sort of hidden yeah. in them. Um, yeah, Grimm's fairy I mean, tales. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, these are things that we've lived with as people for a long time. I imagine that probably a lot of the oral stories that were told in human history, a lot of them had to be horror stories. I would imagine, and it's just it's just something that it's something that will constantly intrigue us. I think. But we'll always there will always be that part of us that sees it as taboo. I think there's a part of me that wants the, the the moral order of the universe to be restored, and maybe horror is one way of kind of challenging and upsetting that. And so when it doesn't get restored after, I find myself a little messed up, you know. <laughs> um, Greg, can I see a few other things? These need yeah. not be in the podcast. Yeah, totally. Um, a couple of years ago, I decided to watch all of the Twilight Zone episodes, you know, from start to finish in order it was a blast there it was so creative i mean they had different kinds of writers on there um i mean didn't they they did but rod serling like either wrote he had a hand in like every one of them i think yeah 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 yeah. but they're like based on a story by ray bradbury or something like that but uh the the william shatner one where he's up on in the airplane and the gremlin is on the wing trying to sabotage and nobody believes him because he's just coming back from a mental breakdown uh, and he's sitting next to his wife, I think, on the airplane. There's one point where 
I've seen the episode before, so I don't know why it got me, but he just, you know, he's seen the gremlin. We've seen the gremlin. He opens the curtain slowly and the face of the gremlin is right there. Just looking at him. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even go boo. It's just right there. I screamed. <laughs> I <was> like, ah! <laughs> well, it's like, I mean, what is it? It's like, uh, it's like the vampire in Salem's lot uh, when he's at the window or even like if you watch like the haunting of Hill house with Vincent price, there's that, there's that scene where he's walking down the hallway and all of a sudden that lady, the creepy lady with the face, like just kind of pops out of nowhere. Or another great one is uh psycho when, um, when uh, Arbogast is that the detective is like going upstairs to see mother and it's just slow, slow, slow. And then like mother comes out of the room with the knife and like, you know, he's just tripping back down the steps. Yeah. It's like all of that stuff kind of, you know, it's coming and it still kind of catches you off guard sometimes. Totally. Totally. That's kind of fun. And then uh, with Stephen King, I just, I, I, I I say this as many times as I can. One of my favorite novels ever is uh, Stephen King's 112263. And it's not a horror one, but it's about time travel. And I think I've, I chose it, the, the Hulu series uh, for the canon, but um, I just think that book is so good. It's so creative and you get, you get the sci-fi thing, but you also get the relationship thing and even like nostalgia and kind of loss and sorrow and the passing of time. And it's, I think it's brilliant. I would read it and listen to it again if I had, you know, 24 hours, 25 hours of listening time. So I just, you know, I think we asked on the, the Canon episode about Stephen King, you know, do we think he's a great writer? I, I think he can be a great writer. And, you know, he cranks out like three a year or something, two a year. Yeah. And so I think if he slowed down, the, the caliber of the, of the writing would be better. But, you know, I think for horror, it's pretty good. Uh, it just gets a little repetitive, maybe, you know? Yeah. I mean, it does get a little repetitive, but I, you know, I, gosh, the, just the level of creativity it takes to put out a novel a year. Uh, unbelievable to me. That is off the charts talent to, yeah. in my mind. So, so do you have a favorite Stephen King novel? Oh, you know, I probably, if I had, you know, it, I would probably say the stand, which is probably what everybody else would say too. I just, and it's not even like, you know, the funny thing about my love for the stand is, and this is so church nerd of me, like, it's not even the fun parts of the stand that I love. Like, I love the committee meetings where like, (laughs) where they're trying to. (laughs) <laughs> they're trying to reform society in Boulder, Colorado. And so they start like a steering committee or something. I, like, I love that. Part of the book. Gosh. <laughs> well, some would say that's the true horror. <laughs> <laughs> Let's form a committee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lordy. Well, maybe on that note, uh, <laughs> That uh, that concludes our spooky episode of the PCBC, the Popping Collars Book Club. I would like to thank my co-host, Greg Knight, for stepping out of his, what, is this technically you stepping out of your going yeah, on? Yeah, we made a trade. So I'm here this month so that uh, you can hear Betsy and Liz talk about Thelma and Louise on Going on 30 next month. So that's that's what's happened this time around. Nice. Oh, there's a little preview for you, a little yeah. tickle trailer. Um, so yeah, so without further without further scares, uh, 
This has been uh, your co-host Ricardo Avila uh, with Greg Knight. Do we don't have to do all the things here, do we? No, no, no. Okay, you know, keep heaven snow. Go trick or treating. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Eat that candy. Share it with someone you love. <laughs> and don't keep all the best ones to yourself. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I've got a stash of Reese's peanut butter cups hidden over here. So, oh, so good. Well, <laughs> so go out there. Have a little fun, scare a little bit, be scared a little bit, and keep those collars popped. Paw, paw. <laughs> oh my God, how old are we? <laughs> I am giving